Good morning. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Book of Acts, chapter 24. We have been uh, engaged in a character study through the Bible for, oh, probably going on to two years. And uh, we're in the New Testament now, and we have finally come to Paul. We're going to take about five weeks to study the character of Paul. So this will be the first message this morning. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts because we have so much to go from from his letters. And you can learn a lot more about a person from the letters they write, can't you? And so uh, the next week's Lord willing, we'll spend more time in the epistles. But this week, I want to begin at the beginning, which is Paul's conversion, how he, you know, he got saved. And so we'll spend most of the time in the book of Acts. But um, this morning, we're going to talk about the care and maintenance of something. Care and maintenance. I'm sure you all, like me, have little booklets and flyers at home that tell you how to care for and maintain various things, uh, you know, appliances, tools, your cell phone, your computer, your software on your computer, your car. We're going to talk about the care and maintenance of something that everybody here has. I can say that with authority. I know everyone here has exactly one of these. And it requires care and maintenance. In fact, we have to be very careful with how we care for this item. If you haven't guessed what it is, Paul talks about it here and throughout his letters, by the way. It's your conscience. Your conscience. How have you been caring for your what your conscience? What kind of state is your conscience in right now? Paul says here in verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and toward men. He says, I strive. Uh, I know we can often put in a lot of effort caring and maintaining other things. I think too often our consciences get neglected. You know? And yet Paul says in his case, uh, in the King James, he says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And of course, that should be true of us as well. How's your conscience? Is it clear right now? Clear before God, clear before men? We're going to uh, learn from the life of Paul. Paul uh, is an authority on the subject. It actually came up when he got saved. God talked to him about it, and we're going to see that. And I think that's why he wrote about uh, the conscience more than anybody else. He was, he was conscious of the importance of one's conscience. It's one of those unseen things, you know, that uh, God gives us that too often we forget needs attention. Kind of like our soul. How important is your soul? How much time do you spend taking care of your soul? Yeah, Jesus tells a great um, 
story along those lines. I love it about the, you know, the rich guy that had so much, uh, grain, he didn't know what to do with it, so he built bigger barns to hold the grain. And then he actually talks to his soul, you know. He addresses his soul. He says, soul, you have much goods laid up. Take your ease. Be merry. And then God speaks to him. And he says, you fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. And then, whose shall these things be? Isn't that good? Man, that cuts right to the heart of it. There's a guy more concerned with physical goods than his own soul. Jesus, Jesus says he's a fool. And we can be fooled sometimes in neglecting the most important parts of our lives. Certainly true of our consciences. Everybody has one. I can say that with authority. In Romans, God tells us that Paul, by the way, writing here, listen, listen to how he says it. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, that is the Gentiles, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. You got that? We can all relate to this. Did your conscience ever accused you or excused you? Yeah. It's a little piece of something God gave you. It's part of you to let you know when you're wrong and when you're right. Now, we have to be careful here because consciences can be distorted. You know? And you can have people who think something's wrong when it's right and think it's right when it's wrong. That's one of the scary things. You gotta be careful how you treat that conscience. Just like that delicate piece of electronics, you know, if you abuse it, it's gonna end up doing strange things or not working. And that can happen to a conscience too. It's a delicate instrument. And so God says here that we have this, this conscience that either accuses or excuses us. And that we have the law of God written in our hearts. That means the most primitive people. Doesn't just apply to civilized, you know, technical people with cell phones and computers. And it really, when you think about it, you understand, at least in our treatment of other people, how God makes that conscience work. It's really very simple. Jesus uh, was the one who pronounced what we call now the golden rule. Everybody knows it in one form or another. This is the way he said it. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He summarized the law and the prophets. Isn't that good? Whatever you'd have somebody do to you, Jesus says, do that to them. Everybody knows that, you know, the most primitive, uh, undressed, what we call savage in the, in the jungle knows that. We know when we do something to someone, we wouldn't like them to do that to us, right? That's it. And God uses that little voice, that conscience to remind us when we do things like that. 
You know, how would you feel if someone did that to you? You ever said that to your kids, moms and dads? Huh? You're, you're being a conscience when you say that, you see. <laughs> well, God does that. Do we always listen to our conscience? No. And that's where the problems come. See, we know, we know, I don't, I don't care how advanced or primitive you are, we know when we do something to someone else, we would not want them to do it to us, and therefore what we've done is wrong. Now, I know, you know, we all, we're all here sitting here, well, it was justified. I was right in doing it. They deserved it. You know, we're great at that, right? We, we overrule our conscience. We say, no, conscience, you're wrong. No, no, no. God, you're wrong. In this case, I'm right. Okay? And, uh, you know, we can hurt people verbally, physically, bring tears, hear pleadings, and just ignore the conscience. Right? Am I the only one that's ever done that? So we have to override our conscience to justify our actions. And by repeatedly doing so, we risk silencing our conscience. You know? Like, um, calluses can be a good thing sometimes. I play guitar. When I first played, uh, use your left hand to push down on the strings. Man, I could only do it for a few minutes. And after a while, it, it was too, it hurt. But after a while, I got calluses on the end of my fingers and I have no problem. You know, it's a good thing. You, you, you do a job or some kind of repetitious activity. You get blisters to begin with, but after a while, you do it enough, you get calluses. That's good. You know, it doesn't hurt anymore. Well, that's bad when it comes to the conscience. You don't want a calloused conscience. You want a tender, sensitive conscience. Because let's stop and think what we're talking about here. This is how I hear God. You want, you want to make that thing calloused? No. So no wonder Paul says, I strive. He says, herein do I exercise myself, man, to keep that thing sensitive. Paul wasn't always like this. So I turn back now to Acts chapter 9. Wonderful passage. God has a wonderful way of putting things. And Jesus says something to Paul here, to me, is just a wonderful eye-opener. Not only about the subject of the conscience, but about the life of Paul. Chapter 9. At this point, Paul, who at this point is called Saul, is still an unsaved man. And that's putting it mildly. He hates Christians. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I love that. That's it. It's that phrase. So Paul is out to uh, go gather up some uh, more Christians, go arrest them or bring them back to Jerusalem and throw them in prison. 
He hates Christ. He hates the name of Christ. He hates anyone who follows Christ. He is a one-man show to stamp out Christianity. He is a self-appointed army to fight Christ. And he's, uh, he's been pretty cruel in his methods up until this point. And Jesus arrests him on the road in his grace, by the way. He could have let Paul just keep going the way he was and go to hell. This dirty, rotten, self-righteous Pharisee. Let him go to hell. He didn't do that. In his grace, he brought him up short. Big, bright light. And he can't see and he falls to the ground. And there's such a small exchange of words here. And yet it's so full of insight. And the phrase that I love is when Jesus tells him at the end, he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't think anybody here has a goad. So I'll have to explain what a goad is. I think a lot of you know. Um, At this time, and even today, uh, where they use beasts of burden for working like in a field or something, like an ox was typically when they would use a goad. A goad is a long stick, but that big around, uh, six, eight feet long. It's got to be really long because it's pointed on the end. Sometimes they had a little piece of metal there, a sharp piece of metal. And when the animal's not cooperating, they take that stick and, uh, you know, uh, into the into the shoulder typically of the ox or whatever it is. And, you know, all of a sudden, whoa, you know, the, the animal gets cooperative again. So that's a goad. You got that? They still use them today. Jesus says to Paul, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, if you get a really uncooperative animal and, you, and, and uh, you hit them with that sharp stick, instead of cooperating, they'll just stand there and kick. That's why it's so long. Because, uh, you know, you don't want to be behind them when they start kicking. You know. And so sometimes you got someone, the guy there with a the goad, poking his ox or his mule or whatever it is, and the, the animal's just standing there, kicking away. He's not going to cooperate. He's going to resist, fight against, you see, the goad. What a good picture of a conscience, huh? Isn't that good? So we have a little insight here into what's been going on in Paul's life. You'd never know it. Reading the book of Acts, that there has been a deep struggle going on between Paul and Jesus. Not, not just the persecution, but Jesus trying to wake Paul up. Paul, what you're doing, it's wrong. Stop it. And Paul's like that mule. He's standing there just kicking. You know, he's fighting it. So Jesus says the goads, it's been more than once that Jesus had tried prodding Paul and not gotten anywhere. Uh, He's kicking against them. Another interesting thing, notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, Paul, it's hard for you. Now, that's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? He says, Paul, you know, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I'll tell you, man, Jesus, Jesus looks right in the heart of men. He looks right into your heart. Okay, he sees the motives, everything, stuff you don't even know about. He looks right down inside. And he looked down inside of the heart of Paul. And besides the fighting and the kicking, he saw deeper and he saw it was hard for Paul. It was hard for Paul to fight God. It was rough. It was tough. 
Deep down inside, Paul was struggling, and Jesus knew that. And so he tells Paul that. You know, Paul, it's really hard to keep fighting God like you are. Isn't that good? And look at the grace of God, you know. Marvelous insight. And so with that uh, insight into Paul, now we can uh, visit the actions of Paul and realize that while this stuff is going on, we just read the words of what Paul is doing and we don't, we don't understand that there was a struggle going on. For example, look back at chapter 8. You turn back a chapter. Verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So you got the picture? I mean, let's, let's just picture a scene here. Uh, he, he's got the uh, paperwork to support it. You know, he was, he's a very honest guy. Very upright. He does things legally, you know. Goes out and gets the papers first to permit him to do this. And then can you imagine, you know, a little knock on the door. Hi, I'm Saul of Tarsus. You're coming with me. And you're strapped into chains, man or woman. God tells us that. Stressing to us. Didn't make any difference with, with Paul, whether they were men or women. Hauled them off. You, you, and picture sometimes the pleadings, you know. Please, Paul, what have we done? You know, we're just followers of Jesus. That'd probably get them even angrier, you know. And all that time, God is saying, Paul, what you're, it's wrong what you're doing. Stop it. And Paul, and somehow he has to justify to himself, no, no, this is right. This is good. I'm zealous for God. They're blasphemers. Isn't that convenient, by the way? You know, uh, Jesus, God in the flesh, sinless. And uh, the Pharisees and the others turned him into a criminal by their laws. You know, we have a law, they said, by which this man is guilty. <laughs> what had he done? Blasphemy. He called himself God. Oh, he is God. That's not blasphemy. That's the truth. But you see, they conveniently arrested him, crucified him, and so now he's a criminal. And so, so now the field is open. Jesus is a criminal, a blasphemer, anybody associated with him, painted with the same brush. Now we can take care of those guys too. And so Paul is out going out and, and literally, you know, stopping his ears to the voice of God, hardening his heart, uh, desensitizing his conscience. So in this scene here, picture, there's a struggle going on when Paul is doing this. Jesus tells us that. You ever been there? You ever, you ever sense that, that struggle going on? You know, where what, you, you, you know God's telling you, no, this is not right. But you want to do it anyway, you know? And so somehow you convince yourself, or at least you think you have, that, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. You know, you, you, you fight against God. Well, that's what Paul was doing. How many times do you think, did God, you know, prick Paul's conscience with that sharp goad? You know, Paul, this is wrong. And he, and he turned to deaf ear. I didn't get clearance from Noah to do this before him, but I'm sure he won't mind. You can see the cotton in his ear, you know, 
the dear brother had surgery on his ear. And for a while, that ear is kind of incapacitated, you know. Well, that's what we can do. We can take cotton and stuff it in our ears, you know. You ever done that real hard? Sounds really weird. I can hear my voice, but I can't hear you. That's what we do with God. It's wonderful to read Paul's uh, words later, after finally God breaks through. You know, when we're ignoring our conscience, when we're shutting our conscience off, you know, we don't see things clearly. Do you know that? We have this perverted view of ourselves, of the world, of people. Paul was like that. Here he is arresting these, these dear, innocent Christians, but he's, he's so perverted now because he shut off the voice of God. They're criminals in his sight, and he's the righteous man. Is that twisted or what? That shows how the, the effect it can have on our lives. It's serious. So later he writes, or actually he's saying this before the, uh, the mob in Jerusalem. He says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. And at that time, he saw himself as a zealot for God. And now he realizes he's a a man driven by his own uh, false conceptions of who God is and who he is. He was in danger of silencing God. Here's an incredible bit of irony. Later, he says before Felix, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Isn't that interesting? He looked upon them as blasphemers. But now he realizes he made them blaspheme by denying Jesus. Later, Paul, the expert on the conscience, says this. Listen to this. Talking about certain uh, people in the world. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, listen to this, who being past feeling, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. You got that? Past feeling. Uh, I've got a place on my leg. I told you about my accident, you know, before I got saved. I can't, you can touch it, I can't feel it. It's past feeling. The nerves are all, all gone in that section. He says, we can do that with our conscience. Be careful. You can get past feeling. Uh, He talks about the end times later when he writes in 1 Timothy. And he writes about certain ones at that time. He says, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Wow. You ever ever touched a hot iron? You know, or burned yourself? You come and you can't feel. The nerves are dead. You've killed the nerves there. That's what he says. Some people, their conscience is like that. It's been seared with a hot iron. Well, praise God for his his grace. Uh, 
Even when we try to, to shut him up. Isn't that terrible? Try to shut God up. In his grace, he'll, he'll try to find another way. We're going to see that here. Uh, look, look back now uh, at uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 51. Again, remembering what Jesus said to Paul. Look at some of the goads here that were in Paul's life that he ignored. This is the death of Stephen. We heard about him a few weeks ago, remember? They stoned him to death. Terrible way to die. And here's some of Stephen's last words. Verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. There it is. There's, there's that conscience issue again. You resist the Holy Spirit. You fight against God. <laughs> Stephen was telling Paul, then Saul, what he was doing when he was doing it. And Saul, he couldn't hear it. All he knew was, here's this, this rabid Christian spouting off a bunch of blasphemy. So there was goad number one. Paul had, Paul had to shut that out. Uh, resisting the Holy Spirit. No, that's not me. I'm not resisting the Holy Spirit. Uh, boy, you think this was a goad? Look at verse 60. Stephen then kneels down and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. I'll tell you, man, that had cut any heart, you'd think, right? Here's this guy. They just, they killed him. And with his last breath, he asks forgiveness for them of God. But it didn't uh, get, get through to Paul. He struggled, but somehow he blocked it out. Because the next verse says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Paul uh, appears to be the kind of guy, he didn't get his hands dirty. You know, he'd let the other guys throw the stones. He, he took their coats for him. You know, you have to take off your coat. It's a bloody business stoning somebody to death. You're going to get bloody and sweaty. And so he, they took off their coats, put them in a pile. And that was Saul or Paul's job at that time. He just stood there by the pile, you know approving of what was going on to guard their coats so nobody would steal their coats that's good huh the goads man there's goads all over the place here and uh paul fought them off we could go on uh it didn't begin here you know i would imagine all the time uh, paul was Studying, being a Pharisee and looking in the scriptures, every once in a while, God would speak to him, you know. Paul, you're a sinner. <laughs> you don't deserve to go to heaven, Paul. You know, there, there were goads all the way along. God does that with everybody, you know. There's a, there's a lifelong struggle that goes on with every single person. It's the most important uh, aspect of your life, the struggle between you and God. Him trying to convince you that you're a sinner and you don't deserve hell. And you trying to convince him, no, nah, it's not that bad. <laughs> Where are you in that struggle, by the way? Are you still fighting God on that? Let me ask you a real simple question. Do you deserve to go to hell right now? Okay, well, I didn't mean you for an answer, but uh, that's great. Praise the Lord. You're in good company. Because everybody else does too. That's the struggle right there. 
You want to get down to the most important thing in everybody's life. It's that struggle right there between you and God. And you know what? Most people win the battle and lose their souls. Better to let God win that one. Just come and say, Lord, you're right. I am a sinner. Uh, I deserve nothing but hell. I don't even belong where you are. You know, I shouldn't be in your sight. That's the kind of stuff he likes to hear. You know why? Because you're agreeing with him. It's called confession. That's what the word confession means. It began that early with Paul, too. He went through the same things everybody else did. But all during that time, like most people, he was fighting it. He was hardening his heart. He was callousing his conscience. I don't want to hear it. I'm a righteous man. I'm a Pharisee. You know, you see the list later in Philippians chapter 3. You know, uh, of all things, uh, 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 of the tribe of Benjamin, the favorite son. You know, circumcised the eighth day, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. Yeah, right on, man. I was cool. You know what he says about all that stuff? He says, whatever things were gained to me, I counted as loss. Some of the better translations say rubbish. You'd have to get worse to really say what it is. But he says, that's what I think about it. It's, it's just junk. Because it kept me from, from Christ, from knowing him. And he sees clearly now. How are you doing in that battle with God? That, that debate. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that he is in the world convincing men of sin. Or at least he's trying. <laughs> That's a hard thing for him to do, to win that argument with people. You know? But he's trying. He's trying to convince them. And by the way, he knows the truth. Okay? He doesn't lie. Sometimes God has to take drastic steps. Here with Paul, it was the, the bright light and, uh, and being blinded. I've shared my testimony. I'm not going to do it again, but you've heard. You know, I got run over by a truck. Should have been killed. Had tire marks on my shirt when I came to. Praise God. I thank God for that accident. You know, if it hadn't happened, I would have kept hardening my heart. I never would have come to God. Ever. It was His grace that laid me low. There's a great illustration in the Old Testament I couldn't resist. It's David is a classic example of what to do and what not to do with your conscience. Um, it's funny, you know, you know the story of David or when early on, before he's king, Saul is king and David's on the run. He's in fear of his life 24 hours a day. Paul, uh, uh, Saul is, is chucking spears at him, you know? And when he's in that state of fear, he's dependent on the Lord. And he's very sensitive to God. And, he, and his conscience at that time is so sensitive. And God puts a little episode in the Bible to show us just how sensitive David's conscience was at that time. It was when David was hiding in the cave. You know the story. Saul comes in. He lays down, and of course, David's men all say, hey, God has delivered him into your hand. You know, God hadn't delivered him into his hand. David's conscience was, was so clean, and he, and he was so close to God. He knew that. So, just to let Saul know what he could have done, 
uh, David reaches over and takes the corner of uh, Saul's garment while he's laying on it and just cuts a little piece of the fabric off, you know, and he takes it. And time goes on. Saul gets up and leaves with his men and goes outside. And David steps out and holds it up and says, see this? This is your robe. Look what I could have done. And this is what God says about David's conscience. Listen to this. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart, that is his conscience, troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Wow. Isn't that good? And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. Saul's been chucking spears at him. All he did was he ruined his uh, garment, you know. Maybe it was a Paris fashion or something, you know. That I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Now, there's a tender conscience. That's where we need to be. And yet, you know, it's funny. Times change, we change, you know, we get prosperous, we succeed. You know, the sun's out, everything's fine. And we kind of forget God, you know. Well, that's what happened to David. And you know the story. If you think of all the things he did, uh, you can make a catalog of sin, you know. He sees Bathsheba bathing, he calls for it. It's an abuse of power. You know, he's the king. He can do anything. Send her to me. I don't care if she's married. Uh, he lied. He deceived. He involved others in his sin. Committed adultery. He attempted to lure somebody else into sin. Her good, godly husband, Uriah. Man, what a godly man. Try to get him drunk. You know, go into his wife. <laughs> good old Uriah, he wouldn't do it. Because you knew you weren't supposed to do that as a soldier in battle. He was home on leave, but there were other guys out in the field. He says, I'm not going to do that. David couldn't corrupt him. So what's left? You know, it's going to come out when uh, she uh, has a kid. Uriah's going to say, that's not my son. So what's David going to do? Oh, okay, well, only one thing left to do. I'm the king. I can do anything. I'll have him killed. He murders. Of course, he doesn't do it with his own hand. He has Joab, you know, his general. And... You can think of this plan, how it must have worked out at that time. David and Joab thinking, no one's ever going to know this. You know, we got this really cool plan. He's going to die in battle. No one will ever know. He'll just look like another casualty of war. Because David uh, sends a letter to Joab and says, I want you to put him right up in the heat of the battle where the fighting is the worst. And when things are tough, you guys just kind of back off a little bit. You know? And so Joab, he's a good, good, obedient general. He does exactly what David told him. Comes back. And, and you like this kind of unspoken uh, conversation they have with each other. You know, Joab reports the events of the day. And, he, and as an afterthought, he says, oh, by the way, Uriah, Uriah the Hittite got killed too. You know, saying, I committed the murder for you, David. You know, but that's between you and me. It sounds like just another casualty of war. And of course, David... He's so hardened, says, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, that's that happens in battle. Guys die. Don't worry about it. No big deal. 
You know how I know all this stuff? Because God wrote it down. It's all right there in black and white. We can read every gory detail. He goes through that whole litany of sin, God does. And at the very end, you know what the last verse in that chapter is? And the thing that David did was wicked in the sight of God. God saw it all. He wrote it down. Well, you'd think, you know, God would give up and say, oh, man, this guy's not the guy I thought he'd be. We need to get him out of here. Let's get an, let's get an honest king. Now, we can, we can harden our hearts. We can stiffen our consciences. God is so gracious, just like he was with Paul. So he was with David. But how are you going to get through to a guy who obviously is not listening to God? You read the Psalms. This is another man. <laughs> you read these, these uh, tender Psalms that David had written about the, the heart of God. That's why God, uh, God called David a man after my own heart. But now you don't even recognize him. No matter what he does, he's not going to listen to God. So what does God do? Well, praise God for godly men that are willing to say bad things to people when they need to hear it. And Nathan was that kind of a guy. And so God gets Nathan to go on. And, you know, he tells the story about this uh, shepherd and uh, his neighbor who was very rich and takes this poor shepherd's one lamb and kills it for his guests. You know, and and David, the ex-shepherd, you know, is that good? God knows how to get through to him. If, if God comes in with a frontal attack, you know, says, David, you dirty, rotten sinner. Look what you've done with Bathsheba. And now you've killed her husband. That's terrible. David is so hard. He's already demonstrated. I'm not listening. Uh, I will. I love the expressions that are dying out nowadays, by the way. For example, about the telephone. I don't know if you use it anymore. We used to say all the time, yeah, I dialed him up on the telephone the other day. You know, we used to say that because it was this round thing with holes in it. You used to put your finger in the hole that was the number and you would go, eh, and it would go, eh, eh, you know, and if, and if the thing had a lot of um, ones and twos, it was terrible because you had to wait for it to go all the way back around again. You know, you dialed your telephone, Right. Ever heard that expression? Another expression we had was, well, I'm just going to leave it off the hook. How do I leave that off the hook? Ain't no hook. There used to be. And the expression to leave your phone off the hook meant you're not taking any calls. You see, today, you either put it on vibrate or you turn it off. Well, in those days, you, you, quote, left it off the hook. Well, that's what David had done with God. You ever done that? You ever leave the phone off the hook? God, I'm out to lunch right now. I'm busy. I'm doing stuff I know you don't approve of, but uh, we'll just leave the phone off the hook. So that way, if I don't hear it, that means it can't be all that bad. Right? Never done that. huh? Well, David had been doing that for such a long time, he forgot where the phone was. And so God in his grace brings Nathan. He tells a story about a shepherd. Side attack, you see. He's coming in from the side, God is. David's not expecting this. And and David gets all worked up. Man, he's hot. How could this guy do this thing? And boy, I couldn't have put it better myself. David says, this man deserves to die. What a dirty, rotten thing. Death. That's what this guy deserves. And Nathan, I, man, I wish I could have been there to see this. He looks David in the eye. 
And he says, you were the man. Wow. And it, it, it got David from the side. He wasn't expecting that. And all of a sudden, it just, it just fell on him. You know, like a waterfall. All the stuff he'd done. And he felt so guilty. And you read the words in the Bible, but you don't hear him say it. And I wish we could, because the words are just there. He says, I've sinned. Yeah. I wish we could have heard it. You can if you read Psalm 51, because that's what he wrote afterwards. Man, you talk about a guy pouring his heart out to God and just agreeing with God. Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me. You know? And after that, boy, praise God. He has a clean conscience. It's fresh again. It's active. That's the way you want to be like that. That's the way David was afterwards. Well, God broke through to David. He broke through to Paul. Praise God, he broke through to me in 1972. Around Easter time. Has he broken through to you? I'm talking to people who don't know Jesus Christ right now. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know if you do or not. If you don't, it's because you're still struggling with God in that battle I talked about. You know, you you got calluses on your conscience. God's been trying to speak to you. I know that for a fact. I don't care who you are. That's his business. He's trying to get through to you and say, you know, you're a sinner. You know, you don't deserve my love. Come on, admit it. Just say it. And a wonderful thing happens when you finally just give up and say, Lord, you're right. Because then he just pours his blessing out on you. And you say, forgive me, I've sinned. Forgive me for the sake of Jesus who died for my sins. And he'll do that. And all of a sudden, you you got a clean, conscious boy. You see life in a new way. You see things like they really are. Yourself. God, people. Paul said, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. How's your conscience today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray for each one here, including myself, Lord, that we would tend our consciences with care. That we would follow Paul as the great example. Herein do I exercise myself, or as he said, I strive to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Perhaps there's someone here today who, uh, with them, your voice is getting smaller and weaker and they can hardly hear you. I pray that this would be the day when they do business with you and if necessary, other people and clean that conscience that they might be able to hear you loud and clear. We ask for your help in Jesus' precious name. Amen.